house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Leading men grew up here. Five minutes from another Oscar nominee. Before his arrival on the red carpet, this Quebecois director studied here. Where are you headed, Corinne? A filmmaker from Montreal took us to Dallas for a different kind of club. Over here, worlds of assassins, cults, and aliens are just waiting to. Oh, sorry, Jacob. A show about clones brought an Emmy to the prairies. Toronto became a dystopian world for an author's chilling tale. A young actor left the West Coast to fight demagogues. Our studios are defining VR. Oh, look out. And that foul-mouthed superhero once roamed these halls. This is Canadian content, and it's time we take credit for it, starting now. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that had very optimistic plans about attending film festivals in person this year. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with the Winter Garden to my Princess of Wales, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello. I am covered in... Leaves, Anna. <laughs> you are getting ready to show uh, uh, Wicked next week when you all have of this to. Stuff is you done. have to take seventeen escalators to get to me. <laughs> I miss. Can I tell you of the ephemera that I miss from Tiff? It's that weird shit that like I miss most of all. It's just like all those escalators, just like the wonky escalator <laughs> at Scotiabank, or like walking up those endless flights of stairs at Princess of Wales to get to my, uh, you know, what are inevitably my like back of the back row seats at Princess of Wales, or it's just all that little stuff. I was talking to Katie Rich, past uh, guest of the show, Katie Rich. Um, maybe this was in our in our group chat where I was just like, what I would give. To have that shitty chicken sandwich at the snack bar at the Scotiabank. You know that, uh, for me personally, you know I've hit that goddamn wall. I've hit a wall when I'm like, okay, I'm just getting chicken at the Scotiabank. Yep. I just, I, I <laughs> and, and it's because minutes. I just don't want to leave the theater and have to come back. You know what yep. I mean? I just want to yep. sit. I just want to sit and wait. Uh, so today, I definitely miss like all of those things too. That like y- you called it movie camp before, where it's like yes. The thing about TIFF is that they call it the People's Festival, and it is very much that too. Where it's like you really, especially if you're not someone who like has a community of film lovers uh, that you rely on in your area, right? Um, like it really does feel like a sense of community watching all of these things together for the first time yep. in a way that's exciting that like you could mimic it through like texting people and you know right having group chats whatever uh during this but yeah that's the thing that i was missing and like those in jokes of like the winter garden theater the ceiling is covered in leaves like you know joking about things like that or just um 
I mean, this has been said by other people besides us too, but just like the the way that talking about the movies as you see them becomes its own sort of like animate creature in and of itself. And like certain movies, like I know that, you know, texting and social media exists and all that stuff. And everybody who was seeing TIFF movies was definitely talking about them because they definitely saw those mm-hmm. conversations. But it is different. I on Twitter about it because there's so many people that got screwed out this year of not getting to participate that I didn't want to be one of those gauche people, to be honest. Well, and I think also it's just like there's still – there's a formalism to – even tweeting, like I know people, <laughs> it seems that most people don't have a thought in their head as they tweet and whatever, but like there is still that thing of just like, I need to put, you know, I have to type this thing out where it's just like the conversations that you have in person where you're just sort of like you're standing in line and what did you just see and and what were the reactions to this and, you know, being able to experience a crowd reaction to mm-hmm. a movie is incredibly informative i always think of um when i saw the premiere of i tanya at uh the uh, aforementioned princess of wales theater uh with katie and i remember a just like watching the way the crowd reacted to that movie but also the ovation that alice and janney got as she she and the rest of the cast came out but like especially like when her name came up in the credits and then when she was introduced after the film and just the absolute enthusiastic ovation i was just like oh yeah like this is going to be a huge oscar thing like it's you you can tell and mm-hmm. it's and we will certainly get into in our conversation about whether any of these movies had that potential anyway but like it makes it impossible in a lot of these ways to or at least a lot harder to anticipate that kind of thing without that crowd reaction mm-hmm. anyway be interesting to see how it plays out anyway yeah so as uh, our listeners are well aware uh, there was no in-person press experience for the toronto film festival this year there was local there were local screenings at very limited capacity for people in who were physically in Toronto, which in this case are uh, Canadians and uh, people who aren't American, because Americans are not allowed into Canada with good reason at this point. Um, but in, uh, the the press experience for Toronto was fully digital. Uh, uh, my illustrious co-host, Chris File, was happily given accreditation this year, and I was not, and I'm fine. <laughs> I'm taking it very well. No, um, but I'm here to uh, report back to our yeah. lovely listeners. So what the this episode is going to take the form of I mentioned it to Chris yesterday. I I am the frost to his Nixon. I will be interrogating him on his experiences with the handful of films, more than a handful, a heaping handful. I am you not saw a thirty crook, films, et cetera, et cetera. You saw 30 films. 30. You're amazing. You're absolutely amazing. Um, 30 of the lineup of uh, 50 or whatever. Yeah, that's like uh, um, remarkable. For some context, the TIFF lineup is usually like uh, close to 300, like usually. 300, 400 sometimes. Yeah. So, 
Chris's percentages uh, for this festival like will a, never be matched at a future in tiff. a regular year. Or yeah, something. no one will ever reach the percentage that Chris is reaching with this festival. So very good. It turns out, just because it's a virtual festival, does not mean that you have in any way diminished your festival going habits. For me, <laughs> notably, it was eating terribly uh, <laughs> and overextending myself to the point that I watch so many things that my eyes are completely sore and my brain becomes gobbledygook. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad you were able to replicate that part of the festival experience. Yeah, that is also where I just fully overextend one. myself where I'm like, I can, I can still squeeze one thing in there right and then with the you know, with the notable uh caveat that we you were not able to um join me for crepes at uh at, at odd oh, hours God, of the day the to really recharge place. i miss our crepe place i hope yeah, it's still there like the when we go back god yeah, me too man because that as i've mentioned that tim hortons that i always went to is no longer there and neither is the little sports bar that we all went to the shitty so, sports bar that we went to because it was always empty and you can get food fast and it's like not and you can sit like 10 horrible. people at a table at a moment's notice yeah it was mm-hmm. great um anyway so i wanted to start with because we want to enter this still from our perspective, which is, you know, Oscar buzz. What TIFF movies had Oscar buzz going in? What maybe uh, movies or performers have it coming out? This is obviously a much more, um, a much less flashy lineup from TIFF. We, you got the sense that a lot of the major awards hopefuls sat it out. And this feels mm-hmm. a lot more about like truffle hunting, not to borrow a title from a a tiff movie but like you're sort of you're really trying to dig out less hype based you know stuff i feel Mm -hmm. like anyway so the movie i wanted to start with is actually the movie that you and i are on very similar ground in is that neither (laughs) of us have seen it which is the kate winslet saoirse ronan uh lesbian cliffside seaside fossil romance ammonite which they it wasn't made available to the press on the TIFF platform. A few movies were like that, and it was dealt with directly through the studio, and I think they were trying to have it be very specific targeted press or like limit the exposure of the movie um, because of the risk factors involved with like piracy and such. But um, I think it's somewhat Lord knows backfired. those TikTok kids really are, you know, yeah. passing around Ammonite. Yep, they're they're stumping for the fossil movie, man. Um, yeah, I think it that might have backfired a little bit for them because yeah. um, it. I mean, like, it's not completely out of the equation anymore. Like, God knows, it's like Rotten Tomato and Metacritic score is still in the upper seventies, so it's like it's a positive response to the movie. But to say that the um, large swath of opinion is a much more muted on this movie i i think is fair um uh, you got I, that you got that experience or at least i did when either the embargo went up or people had just sort of finished watching it the press that were able to watch it mm-hmm. and it was that sort of wave of like six or eight critics being like ammonite frowny face like it was it was mm-hmm. a lot it was air being let out of the i was hearing was like Eh, very much so. A um, lot of people calling it slow, a lot of people calling it cold, which feels, A, um, 
very familiar to uh, the history of gay movies being responded to by straight critics. Yes. I was going to yes. say, I remember that song and dance from Carol. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which Carol um, is anything but chilly. Um, but it also felt like a I'm lot like... of people were comparing it directly to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Right, which is very, um, even if it's just a lot of sequences of these two women gazing at each other, or like, you know, just living in the seaside manner, it is a very hot and heavy movie. Okay, but um, here's, here's as I try not to be too reductive, but like... A por- portrait of a lady on fire lends itself to um, heat, if only because of the you know it. It just felt very easy to be like, oh, Ammonite's cold. This you know movie that takes place in the literal frigid waters off the coast of wherever the fuck <laughs> Ireland, England, um, and then portrait of a lady on fire literally lights one of its women on fire, and people are like, the heat, the heat in this movie. So like. <laughs> Those observations very well may be true, but it also seems, like, very easy. (laughs) But, like, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is a movie I adore, it's very panty. It is, like, bated breath, uh, that type of movie. And, like, my other response to this is, did you guys not see God's Own Country? Which is what I certainly felt from God's... I'm not a fan of God's Own Country. It's certainly um, I remember God's Own Country being the um the contrarians gay movie of choice the year of Call Me By Your Name, which I mm-hmm. think sort of set me against it initially because I was just like, All right, we get it. You're too cool for the popular gay movie. Um but also, yeah, I didn't it didn't fully hook me watching it, but it did have like it did have a lot of fucking in the mud. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, there, it di- there is, like, a lot of what Call Me By Your Name didn't have in that there is, like, sex on screen. There's visible nudity. nudity. That's what people yeah. wanted. People wanted to see penis, and they got it in that movie. And congratulations. Um, I also just think this whole um, r- muted response to that movie, I think they absolutely shot themselves in the foot there because yeah. there were barely any queer critics that i saw reviewing this movie i didn't see a single uh review from a queer woman um i'm sure that someone that i'm sure that it's out there but like i i if they're hand if they're cherry picking the the press that gets to see that movie like i understand that you might uh, yeah i know a lot of straight i know a lot of straight guys who were reviewing that movie um that week that day and yeah and I don't know. I mean, if you're going to be cherry picking your audience, maybe uh, be a little bit more thoughtful on who might be the people to respond to your movie. So my um, question to you, though, Chris, is, is there room for Ammonite to crawl back from this in a very odd year, in a year where just having a movie that people have seen with a performance, like even the people who didn't like it are like, Kate Winslet's very good. Like, is this a thing where like Winslet can still hang on? to the best actress conversation in a strange year i mean yeah it's a very strange year she's a noted actress and i think people will still watch the movie and i think more so than ever the challenge will be to get people to watch the movies even if they're stuck at home because like there's going to be a whole like 
publicity apparatus or like you're not being in rooms with people who are talking about movies. So it's like, I think it's still going to be hard to get people to watch the movie. And I think Ammonite is a movie that they will still watch because of the actresses involved. I mean, this, the whole like chili response to it that you see multiple people calling it chili, that specific word. I think that probably removes it from any best picture conversation. If that's how people are responding to the movie. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Yeah. But again, we have to see it. Yes. Hopefully soon. Speaking of the best picture conversation, though, I will say from my observations, the only movie from TIFF that I saw mentioned even in the vicinity of the best picture category at the Oscars is uh, Nomadland, Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. And that was when when TIFF sort of announced that it was going to be going forward with the festival with a limited lineup or whatever. Nomadland was initially sort of put forward as like the big, the big name, right? Mm-hmm. It's the Francis McDormand movie. It's, it seemed like it was the one with, um, you know, the big expectations. And it was also the one that was announced that it was going to play all the festivals. It was going to play mm-hmm. New York and Venice and Toronto. It was going to be the fall festival movie. You did see Nomadland. All the rest of the movies we're going to talk about are movies that Chris has seen. Um, <laughs> what what were what were your reactions to Nomadland? I mean, I'm I'm one of the many in the chorus saying that it's the best thing I saw at the festival. Um, I think that here's the thing about everybody's wondering how like it's going to fare for these movies playing a virtual festival. Nomadland is absolutely the movie that will really benefit from how they've handled the festival situation i think and i yeah. um because like it's 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 a dominant force on the festival scene because it's playing all of the major festivals and they're really making sure that people see the movie in creative ways um and it's it's because of that it'll make it a movie that people really want to see and find out that they have to see this movie um is it a, a- Sorry, I just because um, I'm still somewhat in the dark as to what it is. Is it a road movie? Is it a like what is somewhat, the nature yes. of this movie? Um, if you've seen Chloe Zhao's other films, you know that she works a lot with non-professional actors, um, and this is uh, her first time with a major star in Francis McDormand. Uh, David Strathairn is in there in a minor role i mean he shows up a few times throughout but like the the movie's not focused on him it's focused on her and the people she basically meets along the way of these nomads that uh cross the country in living in vans and uh you know kind of going off grid at the movie opens as she's working at an amazon facility um and just like finding work across the country um because her uh mining town had been completely shut down um, and she lost her husband as well. So she's just like, essentially it's a journey with this woman, Frances McDormand plays Fern who um, is just uh, finding her place in the world, both alone and finding community at the same time. Um, And it's incredible. (laughs) It's wonderful. Is there any chance that Frances can contend for a third Oscar for this? I think it's harder to say that. I mean, it, we'll see how people feel in a weird year of awarding someone with their third after they just won their second. Right. Um, she's amazing. I mean, I I would honestly think if she hadn't won for three billboards, I think it would kind of be a slam dunk. Yeah. Um, 
They could have given it to Sersha. This whole thing could be academic <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Not that I didn't yes, like Francis and Three Billboards, but like that was sort of that could have been Sersha's moment. I will say, I mean, we are seven months out. We're further away from the Oscars than we are close to them. Um, yeah. Than we are to the last Oscars. The last um, Oscars, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I do really think that this movie has the absolute potential to be a zeitgeisty, um, best picture player. Yeah. Um, there's something about seeing this movie now in the moment that we're in, especially with like COVID and quarantine, this movie speaks so much to, um, how it feels to be alone like really alone and isolated, yeah. but at the same time have these like flashes of connection and community um, in a way that I find really moving. And I I see a lot of people responding to um, just from the people that got to see it at TIFF and it'll soon be playing at uh, New York and people who saw it at the drive-in from Telluride and the, um, at the Hollywood bowl. Yeah. Um, I really think that this is a movie that because of the moment we're in, people are going to connect to it more than, you know, if this was a standard year that people might think it's a little more remote or, um, you know, too small, which yeah. I think is stupid. Um, there's my, a lot of feeling in this movie that I think people are going to respond to. From my perspective, it feels like the one movie that everybody agreed on is great. Yeah. You know what I mean? That like that. And, and I think for, uh, an indie movie like this, it's Searchlight, right? Mm-hmm. So for a movie like that, I think that kind of early consensus really matters because not only do you are you going to need you know full throated critical support for a movie like this, but also now it's like it's the movie people are hearing about. If you are if your ear is anywhere close to the ground for you know film festival stuff, if you're in that kind of um, demographic nomadland is the movie that you're like oh that's the movie i'm hearing about and you know it'll it'll help that build some momentum too i also feel like i think chloe zhao being such a big momentum force at this point like where the rider felt like it was like that was her previous movie the rider was sort of moving her up to the cusp and then the fact that she does have a marvel movie coming out whenever we get big movies again um it was initially supposed to come out this november i'm pretty sure uh eternals still scheduled for february yeah we'll see as as with everything right um hasn't shifted anything yet yeah but i think that can only help her profile as well so Mm mm-hmm I also just think that, like, some of what you're saying, that it's the movie that you're hearing about, really, um, this is why they've played their festival, Searchlight has played Nomadland's festival run so well, because, like, uh, even though there's a lot of stuff to talk about in this TIFF lineup, uh, specifically, there's still, like, it doesn't seem as, like, meteor in terms of the best picture players, as you said, but because they turned this movie that could very easily be uh talked about like it's a small movie um into the big player i think um it's uh it's paid off really well for this movie yeah one speak flipping from best actress to best actor then uh, a movie that people did see at sundance that uh, resurfaced at tiff as many sundance movies often do especially in the early days at tiff as we well know uh is the father 
the mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins uh, Alzheimer's movie, The Father. I, the Sundance buzz on that felt very strong for Hopkins specifically. Mm-hmm. That, like, yeah. we have our first Oscar contending acting performance. It was the sort of the word out of Sundance. Was that kind of um, anticipation? Did it sort of like oversell the father for you, or where'd you come? Where'd you come in on that? Um, I don't know if it oversold it for me. I think what it undersold, to be honest, and like I, we can talk about it separately because we're talking about best actor a little bit. Um, uh, it undersold Olivia Coleman for me. I think ah. she's as good as he is, if not better, in the movie. Um, we all know I love her, but I, I she's really... his daughter. Yes, and uh, I hadn't really heard much about her performance. Um, out of Sundance, and I'm stunned about that because yeah. she's incredible. Um, I don't know if they're running her as supporting or lead. I think it kind of occupies a little bit of a gray area. Wow, um, Olivia Coleman occupying a gray area and supporting versus lead. <laughs> she's not a gray area in the favorite. Um, anyway, <laughs> you're right. She's definitely supporting in the in the favorite. I, whatever. We're not getting into this fight. I hate this argument in the first place. Um, Anthony Hopkins is great, um, at least from the things that we've seen. I would imagine it could be a two-way, two-way race between him and Delroy Lindo for the Defy Bloods. Right. Um, he he is all of those things that you've heard. It's an incredible degree of difficulty, and the movie is really smart um, in just like the concept that it's doing. It kind of um, there's almost kind of i don't want to say pervasive but it does move a little bit like a thriller because it places us in his headspace dealing with dementia in that things are constantly shifting even within the scene like it can suddenly become incredibly tense because he doesn't know what's going on he may not know who he's talking to characters are played by multiple people or we can't we don't know if they're multiple people or if they are one person and he perceives them as someone else um so it really places the audience in an experience of dementia mm-hmm. um in a way that feels just outside of genre um of like a thriller genre and olivia coleman is his daughter taking care of him um and responding to him and there's just moments where it's like she just like gets a wave of emotion across her face or like uh, fear or um, pain that I think audiences are really going to connect with um, in a really strong way, especially the Academy, because like, I know that this comparison has been made. Um, It's not as, uh, as difficult as a more, but it did uh, it did remind uh, me of a lot of a more in the way that a more ended up being a best picture nominee, partly because it's such a universal story or it's one that a lot of people have experience with. Yeah. And I think they'll have an emotional time with this movie um, because people will have had parents or grandparents that have gone through right. dementia. Right. Um and it's a very emotional movie. Um and in that regard, I do think that this could actually be a Best Picture nominee. Um, What's the studio for The Father? Uh, Sony Classics. Sony Classics. Who also had a more. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Here's my question. If I decide to embark upon an awards campaign for this movie that centers on justice for proof, will that be successful? <laughs> it will absolutely not be successful. This is the better Anthony Hopkins dementia movie. Okay. Um, 
Olivia Coleman never says proof once, let alone 1,500 <laughs> times. Damn it. I was I hopeful. did have some, like, small problems with the movie. There are parts of it where it looks like crap like it's just not always shot very well like there's this a scene with a window where i was like that is absolutely the shittiest rear projection i've ever seen for that tree um so like there is a little bit of like cheapness at play in this movie however like the things that people are going to respond to are all uniformly great all right uh bouncing to the next movie i want to talk about is the uh, i feel like this festival had a few um Directing debuts from actors, and the one that I find the most exciting is One Night in Miami, which is the Regina King directing debut. And I feel like for that movie, more than anything, the performance that I was hearing about was Kingsley Benadire for uh, supporting actor for his performance as Malcolm X. Can you uh, explain a little bit about the plot of this movie and about his performance? Um, okay, so One Night in Miami, uh, it's Regina King's uh, feature directorial debut. Um, it is set after a big fight for Cassius Clay, um, and it is uh, a bunch of major figures of the civil rights movement um, coming together for basically this extended conversation that kind of grapples with, you know, how to uh, forward life for black people in America in the 60s. As you mentioned, Kingsley Benadire plays Malcolm X. Aldous Hodge is a football player and actor Jim Brown. Jim Brown, and, right. Uh, Probably most familiar to general audiences is Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. He does sing in the movie. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, There's a certain level of this movie that one thing I appreciated about it, that there's not a whole lot of mimicry, or it's at least kept at bay. Like, you can imagine someone playing Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, and, like, going to the full, like... uh, ticks and things and it's not really that kind of movie to the point where even like leslie odom jr doesn't necessarily uh try to inflect inflect or change his voice to sound more like sam cook he sounds like um, aaron burr f- uh, well he sounds like leslie odom right uh, f- for the most part you know and like there is a level of restraint to this movie that i really responded to and i really loved i think one of the complaints that people threw at it is like, first of all, that's never going to be a problem for me because like everybody was like, it feels like a play. It's very stagey. It's just these people talking in a room, which is entirely a complaint that you could throw at the father, but I didn't see anybody saying that about the father. Right. Um, My thing is if the the performances are compelling enough, then I don't care. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? mean? Like, The performances are compelling. Regina King, like, has a real sense of control over the ebbs and flows of this conversation. And it's it's not literally just people sitting in a room and talking. Like, there's a whole sequence before the movie and at the end of it that I think are really well um, assembled in a way that it's like she's walking you in this conversation and walking you out um, in a way that I found really cinematic and compelling. Um, Yeah. Again, like we said with Ammonite, the thing that, like, these complaints seem so wide that it does seem like maybe this isn't going to be uh, a Best Picture or Best Director play. I hope that it has a better chance. I think Amazon is going to put their full weight behind it. Um, You mentioned Kingsley Benadire as supporting. I would understand if they pushed all four of these actors because it is kind of a shared weight 
uh-huh. um, throughout. However, I do think it would be smart to at least run Kingsley Benadir as lead because it does feel like Malcolm is given an added weight or like he's at least the one that we see kind of interacting and responding with all of these characters. If there's a central conflict, it's between him and Sam cook um, because they are the most diametrically opposed. But then Um, from a studio perspective, doesn't that make it an even better play for supporting actor because he's like, not when you see the movie, I think, I think it would be smarter to run him as lead. Um, I would consider him a lead. I think he's so good. Um, he also, interestingly enough, is playing Barack Obama in the Comey Rule this coming uh, week, which is oh really that he's playing. I, I both think Malcolm I just X avoided everything about that show. Like I mean, naturally, he also I have a soft spot for because he was in the second season of the OA and uh, know your how beloved much OA. Yes, exactly. Anything, anything the Brit Marling touches is your kingdom. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, why did I just go into the Lion King? That's I don't weird. know. Um, I hate the Lion. I don't hate the Lion King. Why'd you do that? Why'd you say you hate the Lion King? What a weird. I don't thing know. For you to throw in my, there. I, listen, I have watched thirty films. <laughs> my eyes have been locked to a computer on top of my day job. My brain uh, is fried. Um, I don't hate the Lion King, but why did I quote the Lion? King? I don't know. Anyway, anyway. Um, also, I think that there's another really great uh performance that I think would be more um, suited to, like, a supporting campaign. And that's Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown, who, like, my favorite scene of the movie is the moment and, like, the conversation that he and Kingsley Benadir get to have towards the end that um, kind of ties things together. But Aldous Hodge is just so good. Um, We were both fans of him last year in Clemency. Right. Um, So I would hope that, you know audiences respond to him as well a couple things a you failed to cite uh jim brown as mars attack star uh jim brown (laughs) first of all second of all um i think it's uh, and it just goes to sort of the conception of this film and um what the the play that it was based on is that this is a collection of black celebrities in their own like Cassius Clay in the field of sports, Jim Brown. Yeah, different uh, uh, different uh arenas, you could say. But also who had very um specific political awakenings, political mm-hmm. sort of like they were all sort of known for I know Jim Brown was like very outspoken. Uh, and this movie finds player. them all on a different kind of precipice that they have to respond to. That definitely the situation you're mentioning is definitely um jim brown's story in this movie i see that's cool okay so moving on to the next film i want to talk about is i heard a lot uh especially out of venice but also this played toronto about vanessa kirby's performance in a film called pieces of a woman i in all of the sort of um praise that i saw for vanessa kirby i still never got even an inkling about what this movie is about about. So can you maybe lead with that just to satisfy my curiosity? Well, Pieces of a Woman, um, it, it uh, is about, it's basically a, a melodrama about um, 
Vanessa Kirby and her uh, husband, played by Shia LaBeouf, have a tragedy that happens during a home birth, and the whole movie is kind of the fallout of that, where their um, their doula or their uh, home birther goes on trial for... Um, and she's played by somebody notable. Uh, Molly Parker, the great right. Molly Parker, God, who I is also really Molly good Parker. in this, um, yeah. with like very little to do and very little to say. Um and like uh, much of the praise for this movie is this uh, twenty minute unbroken shot through the house as the birth is happening, uh. um, and it's just Vanessa Kirby, Shia LaBeouf, and Molly Parker, and all three of them are just stunning in the scene, and it's like this incredible uh, feat of bravura, uh, one shot filmmaking um, that starts the movie off and as many people have pointed out the movie really can't live up to it really falls into a lot of cliches otherwise even though vanessa kirby her character doesn't respond in the way that you would expect someone to respond but at the same time we never really get the sense that we know anything about this woman who she is like what motivates her beyond like uh problems that she has with her somewhat uh i guess you could say overbearing mother played by ellen burston um it's really it and it's one of those movies where there's just like scenes of people screaming at each other that you don't know why they're screaming yeah um and then for the third act of the movie it finally becomes the courtroom drama that otherwise you were appreciating it for not becoming i see um so it's like it's this really really great shot at the beginning of the movie some people are saying it's 30 minutes it's not it's 20 the movie has it like the title card arrives 30 minutes into the movie but the movie has um stuff that happens before this shot um and it's uh it's fairly traumatic i am shocked that netflix is the one that's going to be uh bringing this movie to audiences because i know that there's just a lot of people who once that shot happens and they'll the tragedy the strikes yeah they will absolutely uh turn something else on so uh kudos to netflix for trying well, it it'll count as a view for netflix for sure at that point because it'll sure, you know sure. if it goes past two minutes it'll count as a view for netflix uh the director i thought uh this was interesting i just looked up uh cornell mondrusco uh uh a hungarian director who directed that film white god about the dog which i refuse to see i can't watch animals in peril i didn't see it either just because i don't care about dogs i think i come at it from the opposite end of you right i um, can't watch animals in peril sorry um but he i remember that film getting a good bit of attention in the indie scene back in 2014 anyway uh-huh. um all right vanessa Movie? kirby's great vanessa kirby's great i is she gonna I, be a contender do you think and if in, they release it this year maybe um it also but feels like, like Netflix has a lot a on its plate. Like it's that's the Netflix yeah. thing we always talk Netflix about. Netflix right? has Viola Davis on their plate this year for Mom Rainey's Black Bottom. Like I I have a hard time believing that this movie will be a priority. For They've them. been able to campaign multiple movies before in the last few years. Like it does feel like they're gaining power in that way. They definitely mm-hmm. were able to do Irishman and Marriage Story last year. But they had many um uh best actor contenders last year like they could have if they'd campaigned some of them harder they could have had a real stronghold on best actor that and they stand out and they still have yet to show that they can do the fox searchlight sony classics thing of elevating something small it does feel like their best successes have been these big undertakings roma marriage story irishman high auteur high you know um 
the big guns. You know what I mean? They haven't yeah. really been able to do even two popes doesn't feel small the way this feels small, right? Yeah. Anyway. And they also haven't been faced with uh, this level of bad reviews. Right. All right. Talk to me about some gay shit. Oh, God. The two worst movies I saw at the (laughs) festival. Um, Viggo Mortensen's Falling, which is, uh, like, I I, I am uh, not, uh, I don't want to speak too negatively on any of these films playing because I think they have a harder time with the whole digital thing. Most of these movies don't have distribution. Viggo Mortensen's Falling, however, is one of the worst movies I've seen in quite some time. Uh, It's just really poorly assembled. It is very much like box-checking representation on screen, but it is all straight people telling the story. Um, What is the story again? His father is a bad man and a bigot and, like, uh, going through poor health as he ages. And Vigo Vigo is is playing his gay son. You see a lot of flashbacks to his youth and, like, the full extent of why this father is terrible. Um, And it's also just really poorly made. Um, It's just, it's it's really bad. It's a pilot that didn't get picked up. Um, The problem to me with Viggo Mortensen playing a gay character is there's just absolutely no way you're ever going to get a scene of him folding up pizza and eating it because, (laughs) like, gay guys won't do that. To Vigo's credit, it's not, um, he's not, like, doing some type of affectation, but, like, that's me finding the best thing I can to say about that movie. Um, Even Laura Linney showing up did nothing for me. I was more so like, girl, you did not need to accept that called in favor. Okay, what director do we need to put in a room with Laura Linney to give her the kind of role that I need her to have? So that it's not just, oh, I should be watching Ozark because that's where the best of Laura Linney is happening right now. I don't know. Put her with Mariel Heller. Mariel Heller um, is a good idea. Mariel um, Heller and Lorene Scafari are my answer for like solving everything. <laughs> it's you're not wrong though. Put her in a room with Lorene Scafaria. Put her in a room with Mariel Heller. Put her in a room with Chloe Zhao. Put her in a room with um uh Yorgos Lanthimos for God's sake. Like I oh, think God, that would a, be a Yorgos Lanthimos Laura Linney movie. Um uh you just uh you just added four years to my line. Yorgos Lanthimos, Laura Linney, Rachel Weiss. Colin Farrell, something. Do something mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. Make it happen. Some weird uh, relationship sex stuff. Thank whatever. you. Right? The other gay movie, which, like, also at this, as of recording, does not have distribution that I found to be embarrassing and terrible was Good Joe Bell, which uh, stars Mark Wahlberg as a father of a gay son who's walking across the country to do penance um, and spread. Uh, a, a message of tolerance. It's directed by Reynaldo Marcus Green, who, like, I want good things for. I thought he um, had a great debut with Monsters and Men a few years ago. Um, it definitely feels like, and, like, knowing the production history of this, that he was, like, brought on to this movie. It doesn't, you know, it feels more like a Mark Wahlberg vanity project. He does this have movie... the Will Smith, uh, Richard Williams biopic coming out yeah, next year yeah. that I'm still very interested in. Yeah, I'll be excited for that. Richard Williams, father of Serena and Venus, if people who are not more into tennis don't know. Um, 
a very interesting person, indeed, Richard Williams. To the credit of this movie, it does feel like it is um, not letting his character off the hook in a way that, you know, I think maybe the average movie on this subject matter would really aggressively try to do. Mm -hmm. But that being said, it ends incredibly bleakly in a way that feels like you know, shoving the audience's nose and shit a little bit. I see. But also there's a lot that is just embarrassing. There's a sequence of like him and his son who, um, what's the, uh, the son is played by Reed Miller. They're talking about Lady Gaga and Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> uh, recites lyrics to born this way in a way that oh, I think the boy. movie thinks is charming, but is incredibly cringy. Um, it feels like, it's like assembled by chainsaw a little bit. The screenplay it's worth noting is by Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana, the Oscar winners for Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Who wrote the screenplay adaptation for Brokeback Mountain, which is interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the movie also has this structure that it pulls it. If you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead a little bit, but it's not spoiling it because this is based on a true story. The movie in the first half of it makes you think that they are going on this walk together, he and his gay son. But then it pulls this Shyamalan twist. Is he not alive? The son is dead. He's not alive. He's already killed himself. And I found it so... um, To play gotcha with that. To play gotcha not only with the audience, with a real-life person, with these gay issues, I found to be quite reprehensible um, in a way that, like, kind of sank the movie that I already think is not very well made. And um, I'm a little baffled by people saying that Mark Wahlberg is good in this movie. Um, We've talked on this podcast before that he has this, like, wide-eyed, like, loud thing that, like, he just defaults into this mode of playing people who don't understand their situations by just like popping his eyes out of his head and having this baffled tone of voice. And it's just bad. The trees Um, are trying to kill us. It's very, the trees are trying to kill us. Um, It is very much explaining his feelings and perspective to a three-year-old. And we are the three-year-old in the audience. Also, Um, I mean, it's it's outside the universe of the movie. And sometimes I don't think it's quite fair. But, like, I maybe don't want to watch Mark Wahlberg playing a redemptive father to a gay son, knowing what I know about Mark Wahlberg in his life and history. I understand that. I didn't necessarily um, have issue with that in the movie because I don't think the character is ultimately redeemed. I see. However, I think anyone having Oscar conversations about this movie or thinking that it could be, I think that's largely the reason why, even if a distributor picked this movie up, that it wouldn't be. I think it will put people off. I think it won't be the type of thing that people can pat themselves on the back for in the way, like, people are calling this gay green book. I think that's not quite what's going on. But, like, the way that people could pat themselves on the back for not being racist because they liked green book. The funny thing is, uh, green book is also gay green book. Like, green book is... (laughs) Green book is also gay green book, yes. Oh, God. All right. Um, Yeah, I, I... 
I understand people trying to uh, read into the intentions of this movie, which I do think are there. They are not. Tr- I don't think they're trying to redeem this character. But I do also find this, the intentions of this movie incredibly suspect based on how it's structured. Yeah, now that you've told me what you've told me about it, I have a very wary eye on it, although I will see it and figure it out for myself. Um, one movie slash performance that I had no knowledge of before the festival that I am now very excited to see is Rosamund Pike in a movie called I Care A Lot, where she plays... Which is like, the, the reason you felt that way is because the one production still they released of it centers on Diane Weist and not Rosamund Pike. Listen, I love Diane fucking Weist, too. <laughs> Diane Weist is good in this movie, too, so you'll be happy. Um, okay, Rosamund Pike is great in this movie, and I think... Is it a comedy? Worth- it would be Globes comedy. Okay. It's more of a crime movie. Okay. It felt, um, I mean, this isn't a great comparison, but it felt a little Baby Driver to me. In oh. A way that, like, I didn't like Baby Driver. Um, but, like, that kind of, I think, maybe conveys the tone of the movie, at least. Oh. She's playing uh, someone who works uh, with the state in um, being a... Uh, What's even the word? Again, my brain is gone. Like a caregiver, right? Something she's like the that. she's a court ordained caregiver for elderly people, and I she see. scams them. She basically like robs them of their money. She can sell their houses for profit because she has the legal authority to do that. Um, and she she's playing so American. With, uh, yes, yes, and she uh, she's got a good American so accent. Diane, I will say from Gone Girl, we know. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Yes, you. yes, and, and like the comparisons are there because she is this kind of like manipulative Soulless, person who, yeah. like, uh, in their evil ways, you kind of root for in a uh-huh. way that makes you question your own morals. Um, but she, uh, with Diane Weiss' character, um, ends up uh, trying to do this with the wrong type of scenario, and then it kind of devolves into this crime story in a way that I don't think that this is an Oscar movie, but I do think someone will pick up this movie and it could make a little bit of money. Your description Um, of it makes me think of Bad Education. No, it's way more crass than that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Like, that's also why I use the Baby Driver comparison, because it is a pretty violent movie. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. Do you think it'll be something, though, because I did think of Bad Education, I was like, oh, this could be a thing that gets picked up by uh, an HBO or something like that. I think it would be picked up more by, like, a, um, I mean, it could be picked up by, like, a Focus or something. A Hulu would be a great home for this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll see who buys it. I think someone will. I'm excited for, at the very least, for a Rosamund Pike performance worth watching, because since I did never saw Patch Sally, but I did... um, uh, she's supposed to be great in it i know i know i know we'll eventually I do it for this podcast probably true um but since gone girl i've been waiting for the next sort of like uh spectacular rosamund pike performance so i'll watch yeah. that for this um a film i am somewhat less enthusiastic about but more um the one our listeners by. have been waiting to hear me talk about lord knows we naomi love watts miniseries we love our naomi watts and we always yeah. look out for our naomi watts and there is a film that she is in that played at tiff called penguin bloom that genuinely i wanted it to be a sequel to molly's game so bad that like molly had a sister <laughs> 
named Penguin, played by Naomi Watts, and her name is Penguin Bloom, and now she's like into okay, listen, uh, like video games instead of poker, but like another like very like very boysy uh, activity that she scams people at or something. I don't know. The slow creeping realization that I experienced watching this movie in discovering that Penguin Bloom would be the name of the bird. <laughs> that it would be a, not titular a bird named Penguin Bloom because the family that she is in is the Blooms. And they name this bird, this wounded bird. But that it's not a penguin. penguin. No, it's not a penguin. God damn. They call it Penguin because it's named by children. Um, is there a penguin in this movie at all ever? Uh, well, Jackie Weaver is there, but no. <laughs> Wait. I love Jackie. That was mean. I love Jackie. Um, I love you, Jackie. Um, oh, my God. It's okay. So it's a family tragedy. It's another true story. <laughs> Naomi Watts, while on vacation, um, uh, falls off of a balcony and is um, uh, she has some type of trauma to her spine and can no longer walk. And the family is struggling with that. And mm-hmm. then they take in this wounded bird that helps them uh, cope as a family. A literal wounded bird. It's a very literal wounded bird. Subtle metaphor. Um, it is exactly the movie that you uh, <laughs> expect it to be. I I didn't think it was good, but I wasn't uh, as uh, burdened by it as some other people were. In the vast array of um, head shaky SMH um, Naomi Watts TIFF movies that include films like Demolition. Uh, like uh, Three Generations, which at that point was known as About Ray, like St. Vincent, which we certainly talked about on the podcast. Where do you where do you rank it? Um, uh, I mean, I do think that on some level it's better than a lot of the Naomi movies that we've covered on this podcast. Um, it's certainly not a Diana. Um, Is it a La Divorce? It's probably a La Divorce. Okay. My problem with this movie is, like, it does focus a lot on the kids, but it never feels like a kid's movie. I think that, like, if this movie was, like, four children about the same thing, and, like, maybe less, like, Naomi sobbing so that it wouldn't traumatize children, like, I think it's a better movie. I think tonally, if it tried to be that, it would have made for a fine movie. So the bird, what kind of a, I, I'm curious about the bird a little bit. Girl, the bird, let me tell you about this bird. I couldn't tell you off of memory the breed of bird. I think it's a magpie. Um, I couldn't tell if it was a CGI bird or a real bird or not. So if oh, it's a bird okay. actor, kudos to that bird. Does the bird uh, have a chance at a Golden Globe nomination? Uh, I think it will be the Golden Globe ambassador. miss golden globes is penguin bloom (laughs) yes yes better performance than the seagull in the shallows no no the seagull in the shallows that's that's a chameleon that is a um, (laughs) that's a true uh multi uh, multi multi-tool performer right there absolutely a triple threat uh, seal from the shallows uh better or worse movie if jacob trombley plays her kid a uh, better movie if Jacob Tremblay plays all three of her kids. Well, better or worse movie if Jaden Lieberhair plays her kid. Uh, mine Lieberhair. Uh, better movie if mine Lieberhair plays Penguin Bloom. Okay. 
Perfect. All right. I'm glad we thoroughly investigated Penguin Bloom, the film of the festival at Toronto. Do you feel like... I think people will like the movie. Like, I do think that there is an audience for that movie, so I hope somebody buys it. Don't you feel like if there were a real TIFF this year, that, like, Penguin Bloom would have been one of those movies that that would have been, like, the punchline of every conversation that everybody was having? Not like I mean, it's a good intended movie, so like I I wouldn't want to shit on it. I think most way. people wouldn't but, have seen it, but just the I just the I think oh yeah, feel like we would have seen it. We would have seen it. It was like the festival where um, was it Blake Lively played a blind person in a Mark Forster movie? Yes. Yes. Wasn't that a thing? Nobody saw that movie. Richard Lawson definitely saw that movie, but he's the only person I know who saw that movie at that festival. Um, but it felt like everybody was kind of joking about, like, oh, did you see the Blake Lively Blind movie? It was just like, it was just, it was... Oh my god. It was, I know. I know. Anyway. Documentaries. I want to talk about Oh my god, the docs are so good at TIFF this year. Talk um, to me about them. MLK FBI was picked up by IFC. I think um, especially if IFC... IFC has uh, a spotty awards history, at, but I think the they really could have a, um, a documentary frontrunner on their hands. It's um, It charts the... It's more about the FBI than it is Martin Luther King Jr., um, but it charts the FBI's um, spying on him and the surveillance that they put him under. Uh-huh. Um, it's incredible. Um that was one of the better docs I saw. Um, loved um, City Hall, the new Frederick Wiseman. I can't. I love Freddie so much. Four and a half hours. It um, a brisk it, Wiseman at four and a half. Yeah, it's his second longest movie. <laughs> um, it it it's a really. Um, kind of crucial document of how actual local government and democracy works um i it's four and a half hours long i was riveted the whole time is it boston um, i heard right boston? it's boston yeah which you know um, is a roadblock for me but i'll get past it for wise <laughs> you'll get past it you'll get past it it's yeah. a good movie um i will i i always say that his back-to-back films of um in jackson heights and ex libris gave such a fascinating portrait of New York City and how it works on a mm-hmm. sort of um municipal socio-political level that like I I it I always always say that you should watch them both in tandem and I'm very excited to see him do that in a in a different city and it feels like but it feels like it would be a lot of the same um concepts maybe or maybe yeah. not the thing about Wiseman is he'll really drill down into something really specific for about like 15 minutes and then move on to something else very specific for another 15 minutes and the the patchwork that he creates always always it's pretty astounding yeah. i mean like this one does feel like it is more um focused on a conversation we're already having um mm in a way that like I hope that maybe the academy would respond but like he has his honorary oscar and none of his documentaries have been nominated. Yeah. So um I I think especially because it's four and a half hours long that might continue. Yeah. Um yeah. But I'm excited. Natruno, um from Gianfranco Rossi who got really close to a documentary nomination for Fire at Sea a few years ago. Um this movie is just kind of a portrait of life in the Middle East and um, ongoing conflicts of war and what it's just kind of an, a ground eye view of what it's life is actually like there um, that I found very, very moving. Um, what is it called? Noturnal, 
which is also playing a lot of festivals. I believe New York has it at least. Cool. Um, that's something people should really, really see. I also saw another documentary called No Ordinary Man that I hope gets around um, about a trans jazz artist, a trans man who was not discovered to be trans until after he passed. Yes, I heard about um, this. Uh, it's, it's a really different take on uh you know a biographical documentary because you also have uh testimonials from several different trans men who also do an audition for a biopic for this character for this man mm-hmm. um and so it kind of is a biographical documentary but it's also a portrait of trans masculine life in a way that i just kind of blew my mind in the way that it blurred between different types of nonfiction. Um, so I hope that that makes the rounds and gets out there. Uh, did you see the truffle hunters? Ah, oh, the truffle hunters. The truffle hunters is uh, just a real delight. I think that could potentially be just because it's so charming. A And Sony Classics has it. It could be a documentary player. It's also playing all of the festivals as well. What the is dogs this one about? It are amazing. It's just about uh, these elderly men that uh, hunt for truffles with their dogs, um, and the dogs are all wonderful. <laughs> um, That's cool. Yeah, like it's a that. brisk like eighty-five minutes. That was too. another one that played at Sundance, and I remember people really had liked it at Sundance, and then now it's sort of resurfacing as uh, things tend to do. It is charming without being oppressively so. Um, so it worked on me. Uh, any other docs before we move on to our next subject? Oh, man. Am I forgetting any of them? Oh, um, there is a COVID doc that right. I don't think anybody days? has bought. Th- this was actually the best doc that I saw. Um, I know other people haven't really responded to it. It really is just kind of a... Um, very sobering look at um, the early days of the epidemic or the pandemic in, in hospitals, mostly in Wuhan, um, that like there's just things in that I'll never forget. And I Ugh. hope that uh, it gets out there so that everyone can see it as soon as possible. There's, I have to uh, admit, think... I'm not super excited. <laughs> well, I, I would understand um, why people would be reserved about seeing it, but I do think that it's something that needs to be seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a, they were pretty clear to, uh, press that they didn't want identifying details talked about in any coverage of it, like names of hospitals. Uh, um, yeah. so I think that there is some issue in getting it out to the public, but I hope people can see it. So, Outside of the realm, we sort of talked about, I guess, Penguin Bloom being the, the exception. We've talked about movies that at least have a an angle towards uh, some sort of awards success. I want to have you sort of expound about any other movies that you want to recommend that you feel like exist outside of the sphere of awards hopefulness, but are still like really good. I mean, one of the very best performances I watched was Mads Mikkelsen in Another Round. I've heard which, very good things about um, this performance. Some people were saying it's a comedy. It's as much a comedy as, like, John Cassavetti's Husbands is a comedy. <laughs> it, um, it very much, I was like, oh, okay, so this is a more, like, audience-friendly, palatable Husbands, right? Um, right. 
Mads Mikkelsen starred in Thomas Vinterberg's uh, The Hunt back in The Hunt, which he 2012, should which... have been further in the Oscar conversation. He won Best Actor at Cannes for that movie. But that um, film was I... a foreign language film nominee, yes? Uh, I forget if it was or not. Thomas Vinterberg directed that and this, and he has been nominated in uh, foreign language, I believe. Um, this one, I don't know if Denmark will submit it. Samuel Goldwyn has it. Um, as the distributor, so that kind of uh, it doesn't that doesn't spell like that this movie will be everywhere for everyone or that it'll be a big movie. Um, but I do really think, in terms of something that should be in an awards conversation that might not get to be because of its scale and its size, um, Mads Mikkelsen absolutely should be in best actor conversations for this movie. It's about four um, uh, midlife. Uh, crisis men uh, who are all teachers who decide they have to uh, they want to experiment to have their blood alcohol level constantly at a point zero five so that they can uh, you know they're better at their jobs they're better interpersonally <laughs> um, and it sounds like a funny concept the movie goes to um, it's it's not I would not say that this is a comedy um, it goes to a lot of the expected places that you expect it to go um, and yet it's the one that I've thought more and more about as I watch after I watched it um, especially Mad's work in the movie um, he's just one of our underrated actors he's incredible the hunt by the way was a foreign language film nominee it lost to the great beauty at the 2013 uh, oscars should have beat the great beauty Jesus. yes it should have i mean the hunt is the hunt is one of is a movie about uh somebody who's uh accused of something it's it's very much like not to bring up about the the specter of cancel culture but is very much like uh crucible-esque of you know mm-hmm. what if we accuse somebody, it's a little bit was... the children's hour too. Yes, um, I think that's a much better comparison. The children's it's hour. like the children's yeah. hour capturing the Freedmen's kind of yes. situation. Um, um, and sometimes it feels a little broad, but yeah, Mickelson is great. In that. This this too, another round feels a little broad sometimes too. Yeah. Um, and he his character of all of the men, they all are experienced different like midlife crises. Basically, yeah, he is like removed from his wife he um has pressure on him as a history teacher to like help these students get good uh final exam grades so it's like it's a scenario that like we're kind of familiar with um but he brings out these like really unexpected emotions at unexpected times and it's always really complicated and compelling to watch um i hope that people catch his performance uh talk to me about a movie called shiva baby shiva baby is a riot it's amazing it is uh rachel senat the actress who i knew from the twitter video of come on it's la (laughs) um she is a young woman who is going to um see her parents at a shiva for someone who has passed and it is a uh it's a Jewish celebration where she doesn't really have a connection to the person who is dead, but has all these extended um, 
relationships to everyone who is there. It's this very compact house, and it gets very... It, there's these sequences where it ratchets up the tension of people, like, getting in her business too much, and then it immediately alleviates it in a way that was really funny, if a little repetitive. But the central conceit of it is she has a sugar daddy from an app who shows up at the Shiva and so does his wife. <laughs> so like she's avoiding like her parents think that she has a job, but really she's making money off of her sugar daddy. Um, and it's like, it's an hour and 15 minutes long. Yeah. I was laughing the whole time. I love any movie that will give me Jackie Hoffman and Diana Agron in the same movie. Truly. It- perfectly cast diana agron in the movie uh jackie hoffman not nearly in there enough however we get polly draper as another um uh, i kept thinking of obvious child i was gonna say the mom from obvious child yeah polly draper is wonderful in this movie um fred melamed shows up so of course fred melamed is wonderful he is never not uh Um, one of the this is a movie that would be great to go to hulu Oh, that's interesting. I think Hulu would be a great home for this movie. I feel like Polly Draper, around the time of Obvious Child, was also in another project that I thought she was really good in, and now I want to very quickly peruse... Oh, she's so good in Side Effects, a movie, again, that I don't love. Oh, yeah. Um, As the boss, she's um, uh, Rooney's boss in Side Mm -hmm. Effects. I thought she was very good in that. Anyway. Um... What else did I want to ask you about? Oh, Concrete Cowboy with Idris Elba. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, I hope somebody picks that up. I don't think it's really an Oscar movie, but um, it's a it's a teen drama based off of a teen novel set in Philadelphia with these urban cowboys, these black cowboys. Um, and it's a very typical, uh, like, teen drama where it's like he goes to live with his dad, who he hasn't really seen because he's a troubled child and he's getting into like trouble. And then there's also um, his like former friend who's played by Gerald Rome um, is like getting him into trouble there as well. There's a few of these cowboys are played by the actual cowboys in Philadelphia, um, including one of my favorite performances I saw during the whole festival, Jamil Prattis, um, who like I loved him. Not enough of him in that movie though. Um but yeah, like it this could be a a movie that would like make money. It's not fully uh like it's not really anything you don't expect it to be even right. though it's a unique um like s- setting for a movie that we haven't seen before right. that makes it always like interesting to watch but not like you know, the actual story beats of it, the father-son stuff is not necessarily all that exciting. Lee Lorraine Daniels Toussaint is, one of the is in there though. Oh, I love yes, Lorraine, Lee Toussaint. Lorraine Toussaint. Um on a horse, you know. What <laughs> I've else sold, do you want? You sold me. I, I love it. her. She's a legend. That's all I need. Lorraine Toussaint on a horse. Absolutely. Um was there anything, just sort of in terms of like a wrap up, anything else that you want to talk about? Anything else that you feel like um, I don't know if you want to take a stab at the um, People's Choice Award winner that will probably be announced on Sunday. Yeah, it'll be announced either like right before or right after we do this. I don't know how the People's Choice Award is going to work. In I was going to say festival. with those very limited in-person screenings because the, the the they did drive-ins too that I guess were more 
people, but like the screen, the physical screenings that took place at the light box, it was a max of 50 people um, per screening. So it's not a lot of people. My imagination would be that it goes to Nomadland just because the response is so universal um, at this point. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if something that's just like fun and distracting, like Shiva baby one. Yeah. That'd be cool. Considering the, um, the, history of the people's choice award to toronto being so tied to best picture contenders i would imagine that if something more off the path um does win i would imagine that it means less for oscar than it normally would to be honest do you think american utopia could win is it in i do actually we haven't talked about american utopia and largely because it's hbo it's not going to be eligible for oscar um, unless they, you know, do something, I feel like HBO should be because that's the other movie besides Nomadland that it feels like everybody was in agreement that it was great. I mean, it's the first time I felt euphoria since the pandemic. It's a concert um, film about it's yes, it Spike Lee filmed uh, David Burns' uh, Broadway concert show. He had toured the show, I guess, before it went to Broadway, um, and it, it it's very much in the tradition of stop making sense uh spike lee i think is the uh best person capturing uh live theater and live performance uh working today if anybody knows the musical passing strange he also filmed that in a way that felt incredibly cinematic and not just like here's a bunch of cameras capturing things that happen on stage and this is more of that as well it'll be on hbo i believe october 17th mid-october um it's wonderful. I was like either on the verge of tears or crying through half of it because it's just so joyful. Um, but it does also speak to a lot of the things that we're going through now. It has a whole um, sequence that deals with police violence and police brutality that I wouldn't want to spoil for audiences, but is incredibly moving. Um, but it also speaks to a lot of current uh, things we're going through currently of like isolation. He has a funny anecdote about his song, Everybody's Coming to My House, that feels um, uh, really prescient in terms of like everybody going through being alone or not being alone, the stress of being around other people right now that obviously yeah. is not intended to comment on our current time, but it it does sure. for us as an audience watching it post pandemic cinematography by ellen curras who i of course have loved forever for her work on eternal sunshine of the spotless mind so oh yeah you can maybe get a groundswell i guess if it's hbo it's, it wouldn't count for film although who knows yeah. what counts as a film in this super weird year um, i think hbo is should be a line in the sand i just gotta say well but i uh, hbo but i feel that way about like the emmys nominating documentaries from hbo that also get oscar nominations uh, so yeah and I also i i've been talking to a lot of people there's a lot of people who are going to be very intent on putting bad education on their best of lists for this year mm. so We'll see how it goes. Uh, Chris, I will say, for a festival that it has been painful for me to miss, and I mostly mean as a in-person experience like with without it being an in-person experience missing it as accredited press this year has hurt a lot less um it's mostly i missed being there i miss being there with you and our friends and doing Mm -hmm. our thing today would have been the day that i would have come home from tiff and i would have been wistful today so it's probably fitting that i'm feeling wistful about it right now but 
Um, you've done a very good job of sort of cluing me in as to what the what the big ones were. While this my year. brain is still in collapse, I love it. So, what of all these movies? What do you think? What is your prediction as to what will be the f- something we could cover on this at Oscar Buzz coming soon? Maybe in a couple I mean, years. the response to Ammonite makes me wonder if it is a class of 2020 movie. Uh-huh. I don't know how we're going to have a class of 2020 I if don't either. no movies released. I don't either. Um, also, maybe not, because there might not be movies released and it gets a costume design nomination right. or something. Right. Uh, right. I don't really know, because even something like Good Joe Bell... I don't really know how much of an Oscar buzz type of thing it is because like that movie, I feel like nobody really knew it existed until I feel like I'm, I'm hearing a little, I think, I think we can make the case for buzz and I would be fully willing to lie about the case for penguin bloom just to talk about it. (laughs) Well, when penguin bloom becomes available on premium VOD, yes, you yeah um, i will pay 30 goddamn dollars to watch naomi watts care for a magpie i will say that it's a secret batman movie (laughs) jackie weaver plays the penguin (laughs) perfect i feel like we can end it right there it was this was truly a blessing i will say i know that a lot of people got screwed over this year just because of the circumstance and like i wish it that wasn't the case um so like i did feel uh really lucky to be able to experience all of these uh new films and hopefully uh find some joy in them even the ones i didn't like all right i'll see you on king street next year that is our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Uh, Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, you can find me in my Penguin Bloom Mansion um, <laughs> on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star interview in particular really helps us out with Apple podcast visibility so please have no regard for the naming of uh, avian creatures of any type and give us a very nice review thank you that is all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz or this week for our episode on goyo's ghost that's true <laughs>